Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another standard podcast of Earth and Body Ecosystems. Join us as we bridge the gap between our bodies and the world that surrounds us. And I have a, one of my mentors here today and her presently running Blazing Star since 2000 is Tanya Limas. She studied natural therapy at Walworth College of Natural Therapies in England. In the early 1990s, she apprenticed in the wise woman tradition of healing with Susan Weed, as well as teaching at Blazing Star Herbal School and beyond. She maintains a clinical herbal practice in Western Mass, specializing in pediatric herbalism and self-care. Tanya has served as vice president of the Northeast Herbal Association, as well as a professional member of the National Association of Holistic Aromatherapy. I'm a member of Mass NOFA and UPS. A lover of real food, she organized the first local chapter of Western A. Price, organized in Western Mass, bringing community together through local food activism. She has taught at the Northeast Women's Herbal Conference, the Green Nations Gathering, the Flower Essence Conference, the Northeast Aromatherapy Conference, NOFA, UPS, and several other conferences. When she is not teaching apprentices or participating in herbal events, you may find her frequently in local coffee houses with friends, new and old, discussing dreaming ideas, feminist causes, or simply wandering in the woods looking for wild mushrooms to cook up for dinner for whoever dare show up. Also, Blazing Star Herbal School is dedicated to teaching traditional herbal medicine in a way that supports a more sustainable future for all members of the green world and shows respect for the integrity of nature. We offer a unique perspective on herbalism, weaving social and political aspects of health, healing through the study of medical herbs and food practices. We inspire students to find their own healing path by creating a personal relationship with the plant world. The school also serves as a local and national resource for education and networking. Welcome, Tanya. And so I'm just going to say a little bit, and then I'm going to ask Tanya to catch up with us. So I took, I think probably one of her first classes, I took therapeutic herbalism with Tanya in 2001, I believe I started and finished in 2002. So since that time, what's been up to, what's grown and what's going on in the herbal world for you? Wow. (laughs) That has been a while. (laughs) I know. Um. Well, you know, I guess the first thing that comes to mind when you say what's happened since 2002 is that Blazing Star Herbal School has moved three times, um, all within a couple of miles, uh, and we're really back very close to where um, we began, um, the Ashfield-Conway line. Um, So, you know, when you put it like that, that intro, I'm like, that's the first thing that comes to mind, like moving gardens, starting gardens, um, and 
growing. Um, and I think with all the moves, um, because you took the apprenticeship when I first took over from um, Gail Arich, who founded Blazing Star Herbal School back in 1984. Um, as most people know she passed away in 2000, which is when I took over the school. So um, you began right at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. So I think with every move, um, what's really changed with the school is that it's become more and more my vision and more and more my own. Like when I, in 2001, the gardens that we were working with, the plants that we were working with, mm have been planted by Gail. Her vision was very much Gail's. I mean, it was a beautiful vision and we loved it. Um, but over the years, I feel like the school's taken a slightly different form, um, which has transitioned from her vision to my vision. Um, while at the same time, really maintaining the same focus on grassroots herbalism do-it-yourself herbalism and traditional healing. So I think the um, foundation is very much the same, um, but the flavor perhaps, the toppings are a little different um, over the years. The herbs we use are probably a little different now than they were then. Um, I've probably forgotten half of what I knew back in 2001 and have learned a whole different new set of skills related to herbalism and, you know, practicing that because as with health, um, herbalism is evolving and changing and the herbs that are presenting to us now are very different than the herbs that were, were off you know, offering themselves back then. That one I can think of is Tulsi. Uh, I don't remember that being in the forefront like it is now. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> is that's I don't that think I was growing spilanthes back then either. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think I was growing Chinese skullcap either. Right. You know, I think the herbs um, change over time, but I think you're right. Like Tulsi is such a foundation. Yeah. these days in herbalist gardens was back then I don't think it was even in the curriculum no I don't recall that either and then Japanese knotweed which mm -hmm. is a tremendous wonderful herb um yeah. that wasn't in the curriculum and, and now it's you know it's invasive and mm -hmm. you know andrographis I don't think we were talking about andrographis back then of course a lot of this is like related to what people are going through and, you know, Lyme being such an epidemic, you know, we have a whole set of therapeutics around Lyme that we weren't using back then. Of course, you know, what's going to come out of this COVID, we're going to have a whole new set of therapeutics that we weren't using the same way, you know, 20 years ago. Right. And, you know, what we were focusing on back then might not be in the forefront because we really respond to people's needs and yeah. community needs and um, yeah this is really interesting um something that just came to my mind is do do you think and i i think i know what you will say is as we change the herbs change with us 
and more like the Japanese knotweed presents itself um, in areas where lime is most prevalent. So if you have Japanese knotweed growing in your area, most likely, um, you know, so have you noticed that with the change? Like um, I could find St. John's all over the place. Now it's not as prevalent, you know, it's, it's kind of stepped back a little bit, even though I think it's still a really important herb. I think the herbs we need will present themselves around us for sure yeah i think you know it's not it's a little more complex than that because we're in a complicated relationship with plants and it's not as simple as like every plant i mean it is a simple and it's a little more than that one of the issues that i'm thinking a lot about this year around my neighborhood is we have 10 times more poison ivy that yes. have, I mean, it's it's a bumper year for poison ivy and Indian pipe. Mm-hmm. Both those plants, I have never seen as much of them uh, ever. Um, and you know, the poison ivy, I think, very much relates to the kind of people being home more not being out and about, the regeneration, like the stay away, the regeneration of the land as people are less active in the world. Um, <sighs> it's my, I mean, one of the, like, I feel like everything I say can be interpreted in many ways. And so it should be. Right. And, you know, a lot of it is philosophy and ideas that grow as you talk about them and share them. So I'm definitely not at all ever suggesting that what I say is the absolute truth. It's my truth or my observation. Exactly. And I agree. Since I'm not that far as a crow flies from you, that I, I agree the poison ivy is like having a field day, so to speak. And it's, you know, it's growing out onto the edge of the roadways in where I live. You know, it's like, what? Yeah. Make sure, make sure me and, and the what dogs. what is poison ivy's message generally is stay out. Yeah. Stay away. Let me heal. Let me regenerate. Yes. You know, it's interesting that poison ivy has been like my, like, wow, uh, this year. I mean, I have been coveted it from top to bottom, I think, since April, you know, because it touches everything on my cats. But I think there's a message, you know, it's, you know, we need to slow down and listen. Right. And that, and that's what I want to, I think we're probably talking above people a lot because we're, you know, we're herbalists. So, <laughs> but basically we're all connected. The natural world is not separate from us and it responds Absolutely. to us more than people realize. Um, yeah. We're in a reciprocal relationship. Yeah, We're in a symbiotic relationship. There's no mistake that, that the poison ivy is growing like crazy. And I would think of it, it's like, I remember the story um, that poison to the Native Americans, it wasn't as toxic to them as it is to 
um, the settlers, let's say, okay. And um, so it wasn't really, a, but it became more toxic because of the practices of the settlers of chop everything down, come in, take, you know, take everything we need and not being respectful of that relationship between the natural world and us. And that's what I really, what part of this podcast is about. Our whole theory is bridging that connection of, um, you know, that. We, and I have a story uh, yeah. for you. I have a story for you oh, right along these same lines. Um, and this story, you know, is a little out there, you know, kind of, you know, might put me in a little out there category. That's um, fine. <laughs> we love out, we love out there. Yep. That's great. <laughs> As I've grown older, I've grown more allergic to poison ivy. You know, I grew up in the UK. We don't have poison ivy there. So probably for the past, you know, for the first 15, 10, 15 years of being in the US, I was the person that could walk through the poison ivy and collect the herbs and have no reaction. Mm -hmm. But you build up, you know, and, you know, I began with one or two bites, you know, many years ago. And now it's like, I feel like I look at it and I break <laughs> out. And I'm cautious. I know it. I'm aware. But part of the job of Warcraft, it means that you're wandering yep. through surfaces and touching plants that might have touched the poison ivy. And then they're the pets that, you know, might roll in it and they come in and hug us and leave <laughs> you know, the oil all over. But about three years ago, um, at the beginning of the season, I went, you know, into, the, into an area where I harvest. It was an elder grove, actually, where I know there's a lot of poison ivy. And I decided to sit with a poison ivy and try to come into understanding with the poison ivy. And at the end of that kind of communication session, I feel like I made a deal with the poison ivy that year that I would harvest with good intention of healing others. I would harvest responsibly, thoughtfully, you know, not strip the land um, and listen as I harvested. And if I were to do that with good intention, the poison ivy would leave me alone. Like that was the deal I made. And for that whole season, I did not get any poison ivy. There were times I looked down and it's like, uh-oh, I'm standing in poison. There's a little bit of poison ivy up on my ankle, you know, but I did not get one poison ivy blister that whole season. Um, then last year, the pandemic hit and I had like other things on my mind and mm -hmm. forgot about reconnecting with Poison Ivy to um, reset up a deal for lack of a better like word, you know, communication. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I got some Poison Ivy last year. And then this year, at the beginning of the season, I went out to try and repeat that kind of communication and poison ivy was very clear, no deals this year. I'm giving no passes. Mm. And you know, I don't know if that was me personally. I mean, did I, you know, was I inconsistent? Did, you know, was it a personal message or more of a global message? Like mm. there are no deals this year, you know, I'm here for a reason, I'm strong for a reason. And I need everyone 
to respect that. So I found that interesting, you know, like I, you know, I haven't fully processed it, you know, you know, the meaning to its full extent. I obviously have ideas about Mm. what's going on and what it could mean, but I think it's an interesting, you know, story, an interesting learning. It is, it is. Now I had read someplace that when you have a plant such as poison ivy, that the cure is real close by. And I heard that there was a plant and I can't remember what it was. Do you know what what, what plant that is? Is it jewelweed? Jewelweed. There, I mean, that's also interesting in that in my area, I mean, there's a lot of jewelweed in general. This year, there's a lot, but not the same amount of growth in the jewelry as there has been in the poison ivy. Does that make sense? Like we have jewelweed, but it's not a bumper year for the jewelweed. Like and you, poison. and you would think it would be because we've certainly got copious amounts of rain. So, and it, it it's it would seem to yeah, me that like yeah water yeah yeah but it's interesting also pam montgomery has a great story um and i'm assuming you know pam montgomery up in vermont um she's an herbalist and an author she does a lot of plant spirit medicine she's an herbal elder one of my you know teachers from many years ago um she has an experience and i can't this is probably not the complete experience. I don't remember all the details, but she was having uh, issues with poison ivy as well. And poison ivy, and this is back when she lived in the Hudson Valley area. Poison ivy instructed her at the beginning of the spring to take a tiny bite of poison ivy, kind of like a homeopathic. And that would like help her not be allergic anymore. And I think it was like one bite at the beginning of every season. And she did that and had been doing it for a while. And it was really effective. Of course, I'm not suggesting to anyone (laughs) that they should go eat poison ivy. Like this was a very personal experience of an experienced herbalist healer following kind of plant instruction. Um, But that worked for her. And, you know, of course, it's a homeopathic, same cure, same. But, um, you know, I haven't had that personal experience. Right. I think it's interesting. That is interesting. And that goes into there's a basic principle, one of the basic principles in herbalism and other um, homeopathy also is like cures like. So something that's very similar um, will cure um, something very. So one of the things is. uh, well, I'm going to use myself, for example. Um, I, I went on a keto diet and it's helped me tremendously. So keto is high fat, moderate protein, lots of vegetables, right? So, and that made sense. Something clicked in me because of the doctrine of signatures that like cures like. So fat, eating fat can, for some people, I'm not advocating for everybody, right? We're all different, Right. Yeah, and I think it also depends on your ancestry. But that that was that's been like my cure. You know, the fat 
heels. That's the fat. The fat. And I must say, you look great. I was noticing how good you're looking. <laughs> Thank Vibrant you. And your skin skin looks great as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I went back to uh, uh, eating meat a little bit and don't consume a lot of it, but I do eat meat. Um, and um, I know you were an advocate of that. With and maybe we could segue into Weston Price Foundation that you started because that has. Um, um, it's about nutrition, right? So mm-hmm. uh, and I, I must add here that while I was a proponent of and am believe in the early work of the Western Price Association and Sally Fallon, I am no longer following them closely and okay. no longer fully support their more recent work. So yes, their nourishing traditions Yes. The meat, the full fat diet, um, and real food, 100%. Um, but I can't, I kind of no longer support the direction they've taken. So I just have to be clear about that. That's fine. I'm I'm familiar with the nourishing traditions, that book. So yeah, that's why I haven't followed, you know, current work. Yeah either so I have no idea which direction they've gone to and but that happens right I mean yeah people change and they change their um perspective that can be shocking to some of us and well flow uh, is important health isn't static you know we all grow exactly yeah sometimes we have to cut off relations because it doesn't resonate but it's not for us, you know, but the early work of Sally Fallon was very important in my growth yes. and, my le- and my learning. Right. And I, I can see where it's probably, um, um, follow, it follows the paleo and keto, very, which are very similar. And, and um, I kind of wish I had paid more attention back then because I was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be a vegetarian, you know, I'm not going to eat meat. And then it really never worked for me. I never really had that feeling of, you know, and then I looked through my ancestry and like my ancestors would have been eating meat. They would have been eating raw dairy. They would have, this is what yeah. they would have been eating. And they were, most of my ancestors were rather healthy. So and lived long lives. So especially my maternal line. And uh, I'm like, wow, that's something to that. Yeah. So um, also, I wanted to ask you about, uh, and I hope I get a name right, is Van Vandana Shiva. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she um, is uh, Indian, and she's very outspoken about uh, food sovereignty and health sovereignty and seed saving. And I've known you follow her closely for a while. So would you mind talking about that and her, some of her thoughts on. Yeah. I first came across her work. Um, Her work was really connecting feminism to um, agriculture um her early work and I was just blown away by it and she was one of the first really outspoken speakers on um 
the anti-GMO movement. Mm -mm. That's also kind of how I came to know about her and food activism in that respect. And in 2003, I actually flew out to India um, to study with her at her farm in Dehradun, um, which is kind of a little west of Delhi, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and um, she, it, it was the first place I had ever seen a real, like really well-established seed saving. Um, I don't know what to call it, like, you know, whole enterprise, like a seed saving a bank? A bank, a thank you. That's a seed saving bank. Thank you. I'm like, you're like, that's exactly like, you know, you know, I've been saving seeds. I mean, we've all been saving seeds because, you know, you save the seeds at the end of the season, you plant them. But I'd never up until that time seen like a bank, like a real organized, you know, like 30 different types of wheat, 30 different types of rice, you know, just climate controlled um totally organized um seed saving and she really introduced me to the idea and of course I'd already been aware of like food activism but I had never put two and two together how our seeds are the foundation of society without these seeds like we can't eat we can't like every like talk about it, sovereignty health sovereignty and food sovereignty the seeds are the foundation and while, you know, I think deep down I knew it, being in that environment, it was like, wow, like they are ready. Like if anything were to go wrong, like they have seeds saved that they could feed a whole area in India. And then, of course, I mean, we've all heard, um, was it the Iraq seed bank bombing, like when we go to war, one of the first places that gets bombed are the food, the seed banks, which is like devastating. Mm. But that like shows how important to society these seeds are. It's, you know, we can't without seeds, we can't grow food, we can't eat, we can't survive. So, um, I mean, Vandana Shiva, I mean, I've I don't think I mean a year. I don't think a year's gone by in the past twenty years that I haven't either been to one of her classes online or in person, and she's always presenting new ideas. And you know the work she does is tireless. I mean I've never met a more focused person. Mm. Just agriculture, food, like laws around supporting farmers really educating about the damage that the green revolution did earlier you know in the 70s and 80s i think um just an amazing i mean her work is she's produced more work than one lifetime it's really unbelievable how much how many books she's written how she's just got her finger on the pulse of what's about to happen and yeah She's amazing, and she is not afraid to speak up against big corporations no. and 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 call them out on what they've said and what their agendas are. She just 
um, lathe and she she's needs to, fearless, fearless, and she needs to travel. As I remember, she's come to Massachusetts before, and uh-huh. and uh, had done speaking and things like that. So um, yeah, Massachusetts was on her kind of every few year plan. Yeah, she'd visit often because she was really good friends with a professor, an amazing professor from Mount Holyoke called oh, yeah. Jean Grosshalt. Um, who pretty much started the feminism department in Mount, at Mount Holyoke. Jean sadly passed away this past year in her late 80s. Mm. Um, but Vandana and her were really close. So every few years, Vandana Shiva would come to Western Mass to hang out with Jean. And while she was here, she would always set up a talk or a speech or some public event, which I just feel like we're so lucky to have had her so often mm. just because she had this personal connection to Jean Grosshalt. So uh, I hope but, she continues to come back now without Jean. I hope so too. And I, I, I kind of kicked myself that I never went because I had the opportunity a couple of times and, and uh, now it would be well, difficult. I, no, I'll do my best to make sure she comes back to the area uh, and keeps doing talks here. Yeah, because it's so we need people like her that are fearless and do not mind who they step on, step on toes and say, we we need to grow, keep our seeds. I mean, it seeds are so important and they're still I think they're still finding seeds that have been saved for thousands of years in deep caves that are still unbelievable. Yeah, oh, I love that. That makes me so happy. Me too. Um, I mean, yeah. So, um, so I was okay. So now I'm drawing on a blank because that she just blows me away, and I'm just thinking, wow. So I guess another thing is along that line. What do you think that we can do in our local communities? to bring her message of, you know, food sovereignty and health sovereignty into our local communities. How can we um, get that going, you know? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is buy local. Yeah. Support our local farmers. I mean, I'm I'm not sure about your area, but my area, we have so many local farms. We're blessed with so much, yeah, local agriculture. Yeah, yeah, we we are, uh, our our meat comes from local farmers. And uh, unfortunately our vegetables don't because we do have some that are at the local farmer's market, but they're not doing it organically. So they're, they're spraying their crops, so I'm not going uh-huh. to. But one thing that they're doing in nearby town here is that they're, they're creating a community garden. And I think that's one, uh, an important thing to do too. Absolutely. To have, have, have a community garden that people can go to. There's another place in a nearby by town where they help those that are in need and they have their community garden right out in front of their their uh, brick and mortar for anybody to go and take that's they right. need. That's exactly, I mean, I know that's exactly what I believe needs to happen. I also saw, I think in Portland out West that they're planting fruit trees everywhere. 
so that people could help themselves to free fruit and have like free lots around the city with free food, which I think is great. I mean, you know, depending on where you are, there are different variations of kind of the free food, the CSA, the, right. yeah. Yeah. Joyce oh, is in, I'm yeah, in Louisiana. So oh wow, we're able to, as a matter of fact, I just talked to a, a friend of mine that I haven't talked to in a couple of years. And she said, they just brought, bought 16 acres in Mississippi and they planted all these fruit trees and they got figs and uh, pecans grow real abundantly down here. But they just added all in blueberry bushes. She's got a lot of blueberry bushes. That's so great. we get, we get stuff like Satsuma, which is kind of like an, an orange, but it's smaller. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's stuff growing down here. I've never heard about before. I'm like, what the heck is this? But, yeah. So supporting yeah. local, you know, any way we can you know, sharing, you know, getting to your, know your neighbors, you know, supporting, try to, you know, eat local is really, I think, the starting place. You know, most, yeah, most definitely. And I know in my area, there's a lot of CSAs, which is community supported agriculture. And I would, if you're not a gardener, I would encourage people to get involved with the local CSA. It's, you don't, you spend, I would say less in the long run. What you do is you pay usually monthly for a subscription and you're entitled to part of the harvest. And, yeah. and a lot of them will run year round and they'll store like the root vegetables so that you'll even get root vegetables in midwinter. Um, so that's a, a, one of the best ways I can think of is, is supporting them. And we have a lot of that, like I said, in New Hampshire. I think New England throughout is really loaded. And yeah. 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 I mean, I've been also been a member of the CSA for 20 years, the same one. And I love it. I can't, you know, it's, I can't imagine not. And of course, farmers markets for those that don't yep. have CSAs. Um, my daughter just moved to New York City last week. Um, oh, wow. and, which is kind of crazy to think wow. that she's of, of that age now that yeah. she has an apartment in the city. But um, I went to visit her, well, help her move that first weekend. And the thing that made me happiest, she's in Harlem, right across the street from her is a farmer's market, a Saturday morning farmer's market. And they had like organic food and flowers and like mushrooms and you know while she doesn't care as much as I do I must admit it just made me happy to know that something that she's grown up with and just probably taken for granted that you know we go to farmers market every Saturday morning we're members of CSA like it's really easy to access good organic fruit and vegetables you know every Saturday morning now she literally like opens her apartment front door and there's a farmers market so, so, yeah. e so even in one of the biggest cities and crowded cities in the world, you can find farmers markets and get out there and support your local farmers. Every, I'm sure yeah. like every, I mean, neighborhood these days mm. and big cities have farmers markets. And so, you know, it's not just, you know, we live in the country and I'm privileged. I live in the country we have, yep. you know, but even in the city, it's they're there. Yep. So I think that supporting and just 
taking that a step further, like really growing community, um, mm -hmm. like knowing your neighbors, know, you know, supporting one another really also strengthens the economy. Like if each, every neighborhood is connected, feels community, I think that's also a step in the right direction um, in terms of humanity and kindness, because it's all connected. Right. We're all connected. Right. Well, that's like here, we live in a, on a dead end road, which is kind of nice because it's like everybody on the road knows everybody else, yeah. you know, for the most part. And we, my husband's building a chicken coop and there were two other families who wanted chickens but can't really attend to them. So we had talked about going in on it together and we would have the chickens here. And then this way, when we went on vacation for a week, we have somebody else that can come by and tend to them. That's great. I, I feel like moving away, that's the perfect example of moving away from an individual society where everyone does everything in one person, like one person, one car, one you know mm -hmm. just to start doing things together like so and it's a win-win you know not only does everyone have access to eggs but when you go away you have someone to take care of the chicken someone else is equally invested right and that you know i believe leads to everyone's kind of wealth and health yeah i just i want to say one thing about the farmers markets for people who are like, wow, I never thought about going to the farmer's market. Be sure you talk to the farmers because just because it's at a farmer's market does not necessarily mean it's good quality food. Talk to them, ask them about their practices, ask them if they're spraying, what they're spraying with and good educate point. yourself. And if you can, if you, you know, if this is something you want to do with something my husband and I have done, see if you can go visit their farm. See if you can view exactly how you're practicing. Because another thing that happens at farmer's markets is that the people who are selling the stuff aren't necessarily growing it. There are some that are bringing it in from the stores. So, yeah, you, yeah. you know, uh, we, asked yeah. one, we asked one farmer if we can go visit his farm. And he said, yes. And then when the day came, it was like, oh, I have something to do. And then after that, he just like talked around it and talked around it. So I think he was one of those people who actually was not growing the food that he was selling. Yeah. Mm, that's it. That therefore, Joyce, he, yeah. therefore, he can't talk about the practices. Right. And that that's Joyce is, goes to a farmer's markets all the time. So that's why she's really familiar with mm -hmm. things like that. That can happen. But I think for the most part, uh, I don't know if that's rare, but I'm sure it happens. But for the most part, it's good to talk with the people and find out. It actually yeah. is. It, it's local. not all that rare. It is yeah. not all that rare for the for this to happen. I had actually seen a show, and I forget the name of it now, but they were touching on like different things, and they took hidden cameras into various farmers markets and were able to prove that these people were not growing the stuff that they were selling. Yeah, I think it's important to be educated and to, you know, again, support the local, because I noticed that in this New York City farmer's market as well, that it wasn't all completely local, um, that some of them were coming from, you know, Southern Jersey or, you know, the closer to home, 
that you could buy from, the better. The more local, the better. So yes, be a good consumer. Ask. I mean, but I it also, also buying, uh, you know, that locally, the fresher your food is when it's picked, the more of a natural vibrational frequency it has contained within it, which is going to raise our natural vibrational frequency. Important point. Mm-hmm. And you know, I we uh, have a local farm stand, and they're not organic, and they're not perfect, but they're in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if they're spraying, it's going to be in the wind's blowing right, it's going to end up my way. And I'm not for that, but I am for supporting a local farm. They've been there a long time. Mm-hmm. They're doing a lot for the community by having the fresh produce. They grow it themselves. If they don't grow it themselves, then they tell you that they've brought it in from elsewhere. So, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes... Well, that's, that's good that they're being transparent. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, like, there are times I've chosen local over organic as well. Like that's if what I'm, I'm going to buy a form of organic milk that comes, you know, from God knows where. Right. Um, if I can buy local, sometimes you know, sometimes that's an educated choice that I make. Or some farms can't afford to go organic. Yeah. Um, right. And they don't actually spray, but they're not organic. That yep. comes down to, I think, a point you made, Joyce, talking to the farmer understanding right. their practices and how much right. you know, right. how invested like, they are. Cause like you just said, Tanya, they can't afford to because of the price, but I don't care if your um, vegetables don't say, you know, yeah. organic USDA, what are your practices? That's what exactly. I'm interested in. That's I'm the question. What are your practices? practices? I right. know, I know that this farm that they practice crop rotation and they also have chickens that they rotate throughout the mm-hmm. areas. So actually, like, instead of going to the supermarket and buying something organic from Chile or something, I would rather support my local farmer who is doing their, their best, even if it's not perfect. You know, yeah, no, I'm with you because keeping the money within the community. community exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not going yeah. to to some sharecropper that's working their butt off and living in a toxic in, um, environment. And a lot of these farmers do. That's one of the things people don't realize is we think of farmland as being pastoral and really a great place to grow up. But for on some of these big industrial farms, it's not. It is not a healthy place for the kids can't go outside. The, everything's become toxic. There's a, a group. Um, let me see if I can come up with it real quick. Um, what is it? Are you probably familiar? This fairly. Um, what is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let me see. What is it? So the for people who don't know. Thank you. Farmer's Footprint Community. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Farmer's Footprint Community. They're a good resource. And they're, they're, as far as I can tell, they're on the same lines. And I can't remember the founder, but he's on the same line of, you know, of getting these farms cleaned up so that, you know, that 
it's a healthy place for the family that's invested in the land. And it's also the food and the product that's healthy for the people and ingesting the food. So that's what that's farmer's footprint community. That's something, another resource that- um, Because what you also brought up makes me think of like treating your farmers right, because you know, food is also vibrational medicine. And uh -huh. if your farmers are happy and treated well, the food energetically is going to be so much more potent and have right. a higher vibration, like you said earlier, Joyce. So it's kind of the working conditions are so important as well. Right. It's, it's just not, you know, we're talking a lot about growing, but it's not just about the growing of the vegetables. It's like with the animals, you know, how are they being treated? And like you uh -huh. said, you know, if, because we are all interconnected and if the farmers, you know, not in a good way, that stress is being put off onto that animal. And then that, if we eat that animal, then that's going into us and it's creating a neg negative vibration within us. So Absolutely. we, you know, I, there's so much that we're not told, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. And then, not, the, and, and the same with the herbs and the food, uh, the, vegetables, the, the vibrational energy is a lot higher. Um, a lot of this stuff that you can buy in the supermarkets, not even picked at the right time um, and, and not um, done with that intent. Like Tanya's talking about the intent and when she's out gathering herbs, you know, and using the highest intent that she can and so her medicines are going to be, her herbal mixtures are going to be much better than that you could get on the store shelf. And I think that's why sometimes you hear, oh, well, um, herbal remedies are not, they don't mm -hmm. work. Well, where are, you, where are your herbal remedies coming from? Right. You know? And that's what I always tell my students. One of the things I always tell them when they're, you know, we go harvesting from the garden and we come in and, you know, you're separating, let's say the St. John's wort flowers from the stem and, you know, you're like preparing the medicine. And so often, you know, they're talking to each other about what happened last night or like whatever. I'm like, no, when you're making herbal medicine, you have to focus on healing and the herbs. Right because they're vibrational, they're picking up. If you're yelling about, you know, your boyfriend or your bad date, the medicine is picking that up. It's not picking right. up the intention that you're creating this medicine to heal. And, you know, I think that's already, you know, like coming back to that whole interconnectedness, you know, right. like that we're interconnected physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And, you know- I, I'm we, even- I'm even aware of the music I have playing when I'm making my infusions or I, I brew kombucha when I'm doing that, when I'm formulating skincare products. So I'm, I'm even aware of what's in the background. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. I mean, space and energy and mood, really important, yes. you know? Yes. If I'm like really pissy about, you know, if I'm arguing with my daughter, that's not a great time to make an herbal blend, you know, it's like, or if I'm, you know, which again, is like culturally, we're always multitasking. I mean, yes. we've like, that's another, you know, slow down one thing at a time because, you know, 
I mean, I know I'm definitely, you know, not perfect by far, you know, always trying to do too much. And I have to keep, you know, reminding myself, you know, one thing at a time, complete the circle, slow down, um, everything, you know, you know, you had began hiding this whole conversation um, with intention and sovereignty, you know, sovereignty, like health sovereignty. And, you know, mm-hmm. and it, and at some point, I think one of you said something like so much we're not taught you know Mm. no there's so much missing we have to take ownership of our health right right and intentional and just like if we weren't always trying to do 300 things at the same time it would be a lot easier to navigate But like, we always have like one part of, you know, we're just always so split in so many different directions, trying to get so much done Mm -hmm. at a time that it's so easy to not fully own our health or, you know, like, and which I think is really important that we are so, you know, we are responsible for our health. Right. You know, we are responsible for making the right decisions for ourselves. We're responsible for what we eat. And if we owned this, I think our health would be so much better. And I that would, I think that would reflect out into our communities also. Mm-hmm. The health of our communities would it's it's like like we often say in uh, metaphysical training and things like that claim your power stand in your truth stand in your power and when you claim if you when you yep. take full responsibility for the being you are and how you express your beingness how and how you care for your body and your well your own mental you know mental physical spiritual emotional health when you take full responsibility for that that's going to blossom out to the people around you and to the community around you absolutely i agree fully and we must not be so quick to hand our power over Mm -hmm. to teachers to doctors to the government like come you know it's like we're so quick to believe that someone knows better or someone is looking out for us you know not to be a conspiracy theorist and not to be negative because i'm actually you know very positive hopeful person in general um right but you know no one is looking out for us no i mean reality is reality reality maybe our family is looking out for us you know our community could be looking out for us but beyond our friends community and family no one is looking out for us nope they don't care because it's you know capitalist society money's the bottom line line. yeah and so you know we have to be those people that look out for ourselves our friends our family and our community for us to to grow and to teach others absolutely that was wonderful wonderfully said Thank you. Yes, I appreciate that. And you've got this light surrounding you. Yes, you do. uh, And it looks amazing. I think it might be dust. I was actually noticing that on my screen, everything (laughs) looks a little hazy. I'm like, what is that? It it wasn't like that in the beginning. No, I think it might be the time of day or the light. Yeah, (laughs) I I was noticing like you two are so clear. 
And I look like I'm in a smoke haze. And you got this blue streak going through it. Yeah, I think it, I have two windows like on either side of me, like a window behind me and a side window. And I think the light is just. I was wondering if you didn't have a prism because in that one area, like to your to your left, <laughs> over your shoulder, your left shoulder, you this see that here? No, your left. No, left, this one? Yeah. Over your left shoulder, Heidi, do you see all that color? Yeah, oh, it's gorgeous. It's like, like, I don't think it's- I don't uh, see that. <laughs> I, I don't know I what's going on. There's a mirror here. There's a, I, I don't know, I'm just no. noticing. I mean, I'm loving, I wish I could really see it, but the <laughs> box is like this big, you know? It's, uh, you'll have to- <laughs> so This is so fun. <sighs> Yeah. So do you uh, guys, do you do this every week? How often do yeah. you have these podcasts? Yeah, every week. Every week. And we're, it's new. It's a new venture. But, you know, my, my, like, so by my thing is, you know, connecting people with the earth, because I think that's so, we've lost our connection to the earth as yeah. a society as a whole. And so mm -hmm. my mission is to reconnect people in any way that I can to get the message out there, the more we're in touch with the seasons, the more we're in touch with the ground under our feet. You know, I mean, when did walking barefoot become a thing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> when did that, you know, isn't that something that we naturally should be doing? You know, right. as they call or it like forest bathing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, like, I mean, it kind of kills me as much as I love it. <laughs> right. Exactly. So. Exactly. It's a, thing you know walk barefoot you know and so yeah and we've lost that that society as a whole has lost that connection and that right Joyce is on the same page she's more into uh, body dynamics and metaphysical and everything and I'm so together we just you know, I feel like we've got well I can't say I have the whole picture but I think we got a dynamic picture no no it. man we got the whole picture we, we got, got the, it all this is great go with it yeah so anyway you know from UFOs to whatever is affecting us you know in our our psyches in our health and our wellness and you know paranormal experiences anything like that that is affecting us and we feel like it's something that we uh, can discuss and bring awareness you know yeah so we like fringe so when you said you about earlier uh -huh. about the poison ivy beyond the fringe, fringe. we we fringe. love we love the fringe you know that's that's well you know, that was like we had we had the i think it was melody melanie Yes, it was on here where she was talking about speaking to the insects to get them off of her patio. Yep, I love it. Yeah, yeah. And then, well, I really appreciate you having me on. And I appreciate you, you me accepting the invitation. I was like, I gotta see if I can get you know some of my mentors. You know that I really uh, I think are have a lot to say and. Um, just before we close, I want to mention that something that I was part of and Tanya was part of in about supporting people was in Standing Rock. Um, she did a fundraiser I attended and we made fire cider and and so uh, many gallons gallons of fire cider. I, I helped it once anyway when I could and uh, 
so she is definitely she walks her talk I just want to say that um so I I appreciate that yeah so I was so Tanya you have some programs coming up soon that you want to talk about so let me just yeah I run Blazing Star Herbal School which is in western Massachusetts um my website is www.blazingstarherbalschool.typepad.com and I run herbal apprenticeships that last 10 months meet weekly um that really cover all aspects of herbalism and earth connection. My newest program, which begins in September, is a botanical art studio program where we connect with plants and our local environment differently. Um, Instead of making medicine, we're making art, but we're still connecting with the plants. We're still getting to know our neighborhood plants and weeds and we're pr- making botanical prints and eco prints and cyanotype photography method. Um, and I'm really excited about anything that um, I, any method I can use to get to know the natural world mm-hmm. better. And so that's what that program is about but anyone you know can go to the website and we also have facebook you know facebook account blazing star herbal school you know if anyone wants to reach out i'm here so tanya if people want to come from out of state are there are there accommodations um i don't personally offer accommodations but there are lots of airbnbs in the area um that people can you know, and an occasion I'll offer camping in the, you know, in the summer. Um, so I can definitely help someone get set And of up. course, of course, they, they, they should bring a friend so they can split the cost. Absolutely. We love that. Bringing friends. The more the merrier, you know. Right. Totally. Well, this has been um, really amazing. I really enjoyed it. And I'm so glad that you accepted the invitation to speak with us. And I would, if you're open, I would love to have you come back in the future and we can like really drill into some topic again. And uh, yeah, so great. Yeah. Keep doing this. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the invitation and wish you all the best with the future of this podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much. So remember, everyone, get out there and be wild and breathe and hug, hug a neighbor, hug a tree. <laughs> no I like that. And keep shining your light. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you.